flame ignite. And as was read for us, we're in Revelation chapter 2. That's where we're going to be picking up our study. And what we're going to observe as the issue and the topic of our our lesson today is, is the problem of acceptable or respectable sins. That there is... Not a written list, but perhaps an unconscious list of things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, but they're lesser sins, and so it's kind of okay. They're sins that we tolerate within our lives. There, there are certain things that on our list that we would say, absolutely not, those are horrible, horrific sins, you know, I'm not going to murder, uh, I'm not going to steal, do things like that, but... Other sins I might be more apt to do because I consider them in my mind as lesser sins. And that's one of the issues that seems to be at play with the church in Thyatira. Uh, This church has uh, some commendable things, but also some problems that that Jesus addresses to them that we're going to look at this morning. If you notice the beginning of what Jesus uh, describes for them, His his description of Himself is fascinating as He begins begins by saying that he has eyes of flames of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Uh, This is a picture of Christ ready to judge. His feet are burnished bronze. It is a concept throughout the Old Testament that you would trample over your enemies and your feet would be as burning irons or burning bronze such that you could turn the enemies into ashes. And so you have here the picture of Christ with flames of fire, this penetrating look into these Christians and His willingness to discern what they are doing, His willingness to judge them. It is not a picture like some of the other images that we have read as we've gone through these seven churches that are uh, kind and soft, like in verse 8 where you, of chapter 2 where you had the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And you go, that's a nice one. But then you get Christ with the flames of fire looking at you. And you go, this isn't going to go well in what He's about to tell us. But before He gets into His condemnation, I want you to notice that He says something really great about the things that they are doing there. Look at the list that's given there in verse 19 when He says, I know your works. I know the love that you have. And the service that you have, I know the faith that you have, the patient endurance. I know what you're doing. I know the good works there. And we would read this about this church and go, man, that sounds great. A a great listing of the things that they are doing. And then notice the rest of verse 19. And that your works now are, are better than where they were before. Your works in love and your works in faith and in service and your patient endurance, you're improving on those things. You used to do some of those things at the first, but look how far you've come along. Look how well you're doing. And Jesus says, I know what you're doing. I see those changes. I see your improvement. I see that your works are better now than they were in the past. And I think that's an important beginning point for us to consider just to stop right there for a minute and just remind ourselves that that is not only a, a possibility but an expectation that Christ has of us. That we can improve in our works toward Christ. 
That we can improve in our service. That we can improve in our love. That we can improve in all of those various areas that He describes. He says, you can have that. And the church there in Thyatira, they've done that. Their relationship with Christ is getting better and better. And what I want you to think about in your relationship and think about where you stand with God right now is that your current relationship with Christ doesn't have to stay in the same condition that it is in right now. It can get better. It doesn't have to be what it is right now. Your relationship with Christ can improve. It can get better. Sometimes I think we go through the Christian life and you've perhaps been a Christian a a significant duration of time and and you might feel like you've kind of hit the cap. You know, I I look back and yeah, I definitely wasn't doing that great. I was back here somewhere and and now I'm up here and I'm doing well. And, And sometimes that encourages us to lay off the accelerator and throttle down and coast and go, well, you know, you, you see my improvement and so it's okay for me to kind of level out and it can get better. And that's one of the things that I think is really fascinating and really exciting about what is described to this church is that I see your works and I know that your latter works are better than and exceeding than your first works. I see your improvement. I see how well you are doing. What a great thing to hear from the Lord. I see how you're improving. I see how you're doing better and better. And I want you to consider that that doesn't happen by accident. That is not something that you're going to wake up one day and go, boy, I'm having a better relationship with Christ now than I was last month. That's amazing. It's just like I rolled out of bed and it just really happened. And suddenly my works of service and my works of love and my my patient endurance, it just all just magically kind of fell on me. And wow, I'm a better Christian now. Isn't that great? It requires determination. It requires a choice. It requires focus. It is something that you see within the heart of these Christians that clearly they had made a decision that where they were, they were not going to stay there. They were not going to stay at the status quo. They wanted to improve. And I submit to you in this Ignite series, we've been talking about how we can rekindle our fire for God. One of the ways that we do that is not accepting where we are right now. But to recognize we can do better. I can do more. I can serve better. My relationship with Jesus can be better. There's more that I can do for Him. And when I read this, I'm stunned that there's the rest of the chapter. Because after reading that, you would think, the church at Thyatira, they've got it down. Look at what they're doing. Love and service and patient endurance and that they're doing better now than they were in the past. How could you possibly condemn this group, right? They seem to be doing great. And yet this is the longest of Christ's letters. As he's going to give some descriptions about the things that are going on, some of the problems that they have. Notice the things that are described against them. Verse 20, he says, But I have this against you. A a shocking turn of events. I, I know how well you're doing. I know you're improving. But there are some things that I have against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel 
who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I'm fairly confident that this woman's name was not Jezebel. That just is a name that seemed to be worn out right there in 1 Kings. That just name just kind of died right with Jezebel. If you remember who Jezebel is, on the side we did some studies about King Ahab. Remember, King Ahab was the worst king that ever ruled over the people of God in the Old Testament. But as bad as he was, we are told the Scriptures say that his wife, whose name was Jezebel, incited him to do all those wicked things. So bad enough how evil Ahab was, and then we find out that Jezebel was the fuel to that fire. And she was extraordinarily wicked. She was the definition of extreme wickedness. And so here Christ uses that image and says, you tolerate a woman there who's I'm going to call Jezebel. And the reason I'm going to call her that is because she is teaching all kinds of wickedness. She is teaching the Christians to practice sexual immorality and teaching them to eat meat sacrifice to idols. And not only is she teaching that, apparently these Christians are accepting that teaching. That's one of the things that is similar to the church in Pergamum back in verses 12 through 17. Remember, they also had false teaching, just like this church in Thyatira. But here we're told, and the Christians have fallen into the trap. There are Christians that are accepting the teaching of Jezebel. They are tolerating her teachings, and they are practicing the things that she is teaching. And so her wickedness is placed upon her with this name of Jezebel. It's quite apparent, I think, that Christians of Thyatira knew who they were talking about, who Christ is talking about here. Pretty evident there is a, a two, two groups of, of people here that he's going to describe because there are some who haven't fallen into the trap, but Right now he's talking to those Christians who are tolerating these sins and accepting these sins. And that is really what we're going to talk a lot about this morning is the problem of acceptable sins. That problem of accepting things and thinking, well, it's not a big deal. And there's a number of reasons, I think, as to why we have sins in our lives that we classify that way, that, well, those are okay. We're all just sinners, and so these sins are fine, and so I'm not going to deal with those sins. And one of those reasons is just simply that we like doing those sins. We consider that, well, we're not doing the big bad sins. We usually qualify some list of sort and say, well, those are the bad ones. I'm not doing that, but these are okay. And usually the ones that we qualify as okay are the ones that nobody knows about. Uh, They're not the big dramatic ones, but they're ones that you can do in your home that nobody's going to be aware of. And the other reason I think we have a list of acceptable sins is that we are molded by the world. The world deems these activities as acceptable, and so we don't want to appear different. Even though the Scriptures tell us those things are wrong, we do them anyway. Those are probably two of the biggest reasons why we have these tolerable sins, why we accept sins. And I'm going to go through some of them with you as things that I think we see within the Christian world, that we see Christians accepting more and more that we need to be careful about. As we go through these, and as we keep in context here of Thyatira, 
Christ is not writing to the world and saying, you know, all those lost people and all the sins that they're committing, that's just wrong. He's not talking about them. He's talking about us. He's talking about our sins that we continue to allow and tolerate and accept in our lives and we don't do anything about them. He's talking to Christians and he's putting his finger on it and saying, you've got a big problem. And he talks about sexual morality. And we have the same problem today. The, the very same problem exists in our society, and I think one of the reasons why Christians accept so many different forms of sexual immorality is because the world accepts it. The world says it's okay to have sex before marriage, so Christians can too. It's okay to live together, so live together. It's okay to have a divorce, so have a divorce. It's okay to marry whomever you want, remarriage, and so go ahead and do that. We see that all go on throughout the world, and I think the problem for Christians is we see that, that appears to be normal, and so we go along the same path, and we think these sins are acceptable. And yet they're not. Clearly condemned by Christ. Clearly condemned throughout the Scriptures. But the big warning is, hey, just because the world says those things are acceptable doesn't make it so. I mention this a lot. I'm sure things are not going to change until I die. Is that television makes us think these things are okay. We watch so much of it on TV of people living together, people sleeping together, people divorcing, people having affairs. And so it just seems normal. And it's just a very exciting thing. And we cheer these people on as they engage in these kinds of activities. And it begins to mold us into thinking that that's okay. That we can engage in these kinds of relationships, engage in these kinds of sexual activities, and it's going to be fine. Whether we like it or not, we have a list of acceptable sins. We have a list of things that we tolerate and think that, well, that's okay. This this isn't a, a big deal. This one's going to be fine. Pornography is a big problem. Pornography is pretty much accepted now in society. That's not a big deal. That's just pretty well, hey, no big deal. You know, everybody's got their needs. And so watch what you want to see on the computer. Condemned. Clearly falls in, under the wording of sexual immorality. Without spending a ten minute Greek breakdown for you of all the things that are encompassed by the word fornication or sexual morality, I'll just give you the short version. That fits. That fits. That fits right in there of the sins that God is condemning. And yet it's something that can be done at home, in privacy, and nobody knows. And we can appear to be these great holy Christians. And just like what you have here, here's Christ coming along and He says, I have eyes of flames of fire. You know what that means? He sees. He sees. Nobody else sees, but He sees. He has eyes that are penetrating, that are discerning. He knows what's going on in our lives. Who do we think that we are fooling by engaging in these kinds of things? Who do we think we are deceiving? You're deceiving me, deceiving the church, deceiving your family, but you're not deceiving Christ. He sees. So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And don't tell yourself that these things are okay. God's clearly condemned them. I think another area is immodesty. I think that's worth talking about just for a moment. 
Not to do a whole big slide, 30 minutes on that either, but that falls into the same category of the more and more the world loses its sense of shame, we have the propensity to do the same thing. Uh, the lines of modesty certainly move with society. And the more revealing clothing continues to happen, although you would think at some point by now we've probably hit a line. I don't know, but you know, we seem to break through new boundaries. But at some point you would think, you know, uh, two centimeters and three centimeters is all you're going to be able to, before it's not even classified as buying a piece of clothing anymore. I don't know. At some point you'd think we'd hit the wall on this. The concern is not so much, oh, look at the world, look at how they're... how we follow suit. And we do the exact same thing. And we need to be careful that we are always professing godliness in how we dress. We need to be careful that we are showing a sense of shame, just as 1 Timothy 2 is describing, that we are giving that to, to the world. And i just give you one quick side thought. If you are ashamed of going outside in your underwear, (laughs) just because they then call it swimsuit doesn't make it anything different. Okay? It should still have the same shock value to us that we wouldn't do something like that. And so often that's what we do, is we buy into what the world defines as acceptable, and we violate the very words of God. How about our speech? Speech is a big one as well. The way that we talk is so easy to adopt the language of the world and speak things that are filthy. We are in a world right now that so easily impresses upon us to speak badly of people, to always assume the worst in them, and to speak evil of them. If you're not around them, then talk about them and talk about any flaw that you can figure out in them. Nobody ever comes up to anybody today and says, boy, you know, I really love that guy. (laughs) No, it's always, can you believe what so-and-so did today? And if you're at a job, that's all that goes on. Oh, it was misery when I worked at Wendy's of Bowling Green as an accountant there. Oh... The yammering that goes on in the corporate world about everybody else in the office and everybody else in the room. Oh, it's horrible. The problem is, then we adopt it and go do the exact same thing. And we go home and we do that. And we come to church and we do that. And we go out with our friends and we do it. Because we're seeing everybody else do that. And rather than speaking well and good and kind and right... We're speaking this filthy, horrible, malicious language about others that should not be said. Backbiting, gossiping, speaking evil. They're acceptable sins. In fact, we sometimes try to get that out of people. So what did so-and-so say to you about something or another? I want to know. Tell me what's going on. We want to be in the loop. I've often used the phrase, if you have a grapevine, cut the grapevine. Stay off the grapevine. Stay out away from all the news. It's good that you don't know. Stay away from it. Because all it does is degenerate into such filthy language that we talk so badly about other people. Such evil and such malice. We don't even realize it because it's so much fun. I don't know why we enjoy it. It seems to be the human nature. But that's what we want to do. So we speak and speak and speak, and we just need to stop speaking. A lot of these things boil down to pride. 
We want people to know what we're doing and to get, have a reputation with us and to see the, the good things that we're doing. We have to be very careful in how pride and recognition tie into our speech. We need to be very careful that when we are talking about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, that we haven't gone from the area of concern to gossip. You know, and that's a very easy line to blur. You know, I'm so concerned about so-and-so who's going through such-and-such, and and then it turns into, but they should have done da-da-da-da-da-da. Careful. Careful. Our words must always be for the building up of one another. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. I love, as Paul would say, let it bring grace to the hearer. Is what you are saying uplifting and building up, or are you saying these things simply because you are spinning the news? You're trying to find out what's going on. You want to have the latest dirt. And so we're going to pray for somebody so that opens the door for us to be able to talk about them for five minutes. Don't do that. Be warned. How easily our good intentions can turn into sinful behavior. And in the same way with recognition, we can easily do the same thing of, I've got to make sure you know all the people that I'm seeing and all the things that I'm doing. You know, I've got to tell you, I saw so-and-so and did this and saw that and helped out this person. We have to be very careful with that as well. One of the pictures that Jesus gave that I love so much is that reminder of not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a really neat picture to keep in mind. That your good works and your labor of love and your service is done in such quietness that you could use the picture, well, my left hand doesn't even know that I'm doing it. We have to be very careful that sometimes we want to say what we're doing because we want a pat on the back. We want people to know, well, I'm a good Christian. And I would love to stand up here and go, oh, look at all the people that I'm talking to, all the letters that I wrote, and I called on this person and these people who I'm trying to get a Bible class with. And it, but what is that for? It's for a show. It's trying to say to you, oh, I'm such a good Christian, instead of just do the work. Quietly do the work. Quietly do what God has asked you to do. We could go on and on. i just give you some of the obvious ones where I believe the world has tainted our thinking. Because the world is so much about recognition and you need to get credit for what you've done. And we bring that into the Christian world as well. That we need to watch that we do not have these sins in our lives that are acceptable. And the reason why this is a big concern, notice verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent because of her sexual immorality. Here is the problem. When we engage in these sins over and over again, we develop a callous heart and we won't change. That's the problem. Here Christ says, you know, I gave them the chance. I gave them the opportunity to turn. I gave them the chance to repent. They didn't. Why? Why wouldn't they repent? Why wouldn't they take the option to turn away from these things? Because our heart grows callous to those things. When you engage in sexual immorality, it becomes easy to do it again. When you look at pornography, it's easy to do it again. When you find and seek out recognition, it's easy to keep doing it. When you gossip, it continues to happen. All of these things, what's the problem? We get callous hearts. 
And we begin to do it over and over and over again. And we don't even recognize that we've slipped into sin because it just becomes so natural to us. I want us to consider our second point in igniting our flame for God is an obvious one, but I don't know that it always sinks into our hearts very well. Practicing sin extinguishes the flame. Practicing sin extinguishes the flame. And we are engaged in these things that are sinful. That's going to rob us of the zeal for God because we're spending time in these things that we shouldn't be doing. We're sucking away our time and our thoughts and our resources that we could be using for the kingdom, that we could be using for good, and that we could be using for Christ. And we're engaging in these things of self-pleasure and self-promotion. And I believe this is one of the reasons why churches have difficulty in growing is because more time is spent in their own tolerated acceptable sins than trying to share the good news and trying to be a light and trying to be in fire for God and trying to do acts of service and trying to show acts of love. We get bogged down and caught up in these sins. I like how the writer of Hebrews reminds us of to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. It slows us down. It slows us down in this race and trying to obey God on this journey that we have with Him. The more sin that we tolerate in our lives, the more shackles that we have on us. And it bogs us down and it keeps us from being what Christ wants us to be. And so he tells them what they need to be doing. He gives them a very strong warning here. In verse 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. You notice the double play of the sexual immorality in the bed. In verse 22, I will throw her onto the sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. You see His picture? I see what's happening. I'm searching the mind and searching the hearts. If I'm honest with you, that's a terrifying idea. It's not just what he sees, but he searches the mind and searches the hearts. He knows what's going on inside. Now that's good news when we are pure of heart and we're trying our best to serve God and we fall short that Christ sees that we're trying. But the bad side of that is if we're not, if our heart is corrupt and our minds are filthy, Christ sees. He observes these sins and He sees our hearts and searches our minds. And so He tells them, you need to repent. It's time to turn back before it's too late. It is time to turn your life around before you lose it, before I come and bring judgment to you. And verse 23 is is really important. I will give to each of you according to your works. I'm going to come in judgment and I will bring the recompense that is due to you. And so it's a reminder for us of the condemnation of accepting these kinds of sins. Uh, I pray that we will not allow the definitions that the world gives of what is right and what is wrong 
to be adopted as our definitions. We have to be so careful that we are not letting the world define that. Here's these Christians thinking they're doing right and doing good, and Christ says, no, I'm searching the mind, I'm searching the heart, I see what you're doing. It reminds us that you and I do not get to determine what is sinful and what is not. It's a great reminder here to the church in Thyatira. You and I do not get to decide what is acceptable and what is not. What is tolerable and what is not. What is sin and what is not. That's what we want to do. We've made the list. And the list looks really easy on the list of sins. Everything you're not doing is a sin. And everything you are doing, that's not a sin. We all, Hey, we're all good. We all go home. We're all good, right? I mean, that's how we want to make the list of sin work. If I'm not doing it, oh, that's awful. Boy, we'll condemn people if they're doing something I'm not doing. But if I'm doing it, it's okay. There's the grace of God and it's alright. And we allow ourselves to continue in sin. You and I do not define what is right or wrong. You and I do not define what is sin or not. God has defined that. And we must obey it. And so the reminder that he's giving to the church in Thyatira is you're not going to get away with these things. Verse 22, I will throw you into sickbed. I will bring great tribulation. Unless you repent, there will be judgment for the things that we've done. Now look at verse 24. Because now here's the, the opposite. Here's the gracious picture that I really like here. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, verse 24, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, you can you imagine them bracing themselves, what is he going to tell us? And he tells them, verse 24, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. What a great picture. There are Christians who are surrounded by others who are claiming to be Christians, but they're doing what's right. They're not accepting that false teaching. They're not engaging in those sins. They are taking a stand and they're not buying into that deception. They're not going to say, oh, no, I can do those sins. Sure, sounds good to me. They're taking a stand. They're holding fast to the Word of God. They're holding fast to that teaching. And they continue to fight sin. What a great commending there in verse 24 and 25. i got nothing else to tell you, Thyatira. For the rest of you there, just keep going. Just keep doing what you're doing. I see your works. You just keep doing what is right and what is good, what is godly, what is holy. You do that. And now he gives us the picture of victory in verse 26. To the one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself received authority from my Father and I will give him the morning star. To the conquerors, he says, there are two things that are given. One is a picture of authority to rule. Ruling with Christ. It is an interesting place to put that imagery. It won't really be until chapter 20 that we see this picture really fleshed out for us in better detail about Christians ruling with Christ for a thousand years. We'll see in Revelation 20. So 
you keep coming back on Sunday night and eventually we'll get to Revelation 20 and we'll talk about what that thousand years looks like and us reigning with Christ and what that means. But in the meantime, I just want you to see what a beautiful picture. Reigning with Christ. It's a picture that's not foreign to the New Testament. Paul said the same thing as he wrote to Timothy. The very last sentence, if we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. It's a picture of don't deny Him. Continue to press on. Continue to fight. Do not give up. And to the one who does not give up but lives faithfully for Christ, a picture of ruling with Him. In fact, you see that in verse 20 and 27. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. You know who that was originally spoken of? Christ. A picture of the Psalms. Psalm 2. That the Messiah would come and He would crush the enemies. And now he says, and that's going to be you. You're going to rule with him. And that's what verse 28 means. That one probably is the one that everybody has a lot of uh, different ideas upon. Of Well, what does it mean to be given the morning star? What is that talking about? The very end of the book, Christ will dis- describe himself that way. Christ is the root. He's the descendant of David. He is the bright and morning star. What he's telling the church in Thyatira is hold fast, repent of these sins, and guess what? You will have a relationship with Me. You will be reigning with Me. You will be joined with Christ. Here is the true picture of being with Him if we will turn away from that kind of life. And so I just want to leave you with three thoughts to take home with you this morning. One, what we started with at the very beginning, we can do better. He started that way. You're doing better, Church and Thyatira. You're improving. And I leave that with us. You and I, we can do better. We can deal with these sins. We can say no to them. We do not have to accept what the world tells us is right and wrong. We can fight against those things. Two, the more sin that we engage in, the more we are slipping away from God. That love and that fire, that zeal, that desire for God, it gets quenched when we continue to accept the sin and continue to live in that kind of life. Three, the more we tolerate that sin, the more certain the judgment is going to be against us. He gives them a big warning here. I want you to turn away. God's not trying to be harsh to them. He's trying to say, repent before it's too late. You've accepted these sins. There are these people who are saying that you can do these things. Don't believe it. Do not buy into it. You know these sins are wrong. Do not accept it. Do not teach it. Fight against it and live faithfully. I want you to do that because I don't want you to experience the judgment that's about to come. And that's the message of the, what the song that we're about to sing this morning to say. There's a fountain free. It's for you and me. The ability that Christ has given to extend grace and mercy to us if we will turn away from our sins, decide that I'm not going to allow these quiet, hidden, closet sins to continue to be in my heart and in my mind any longer. Today is the day those things stop. I will not do it anymore. Christ sees those sins. We'll be judged for it if we do not repent.
We beg you this morning as we sing this song to think about where you stand before God. What are you doing in terms of where your relationship is with Him? If you have been accepting sins and tolerating sin, please make a change today. Please examine where you stand, not in light of the world, but in light of God's law. And how can you change? And we are here to help you do that. If you have not decided to follow Jesus with all of your heart, we give you the opportunity this morning when we sing this song that you can say, I need to turn away from my sins and I'm doing that. I am convicted that Jesus is the Son of God and I need to be baptized to have my sins washed away. That opportunity is here. It is available to you. The water is ready. Everything is prepared. We give that opportunity to you. If you have already done that, if you've already entered a relationship with Christ, you've already had your sins forgiven through baptism, but you've allowed these sins to creep back into your life, pray to God today to turn that around and dedicate yourself to obey the Lord before it's too late. Whatever we can do to assist you in your service to God, won't you do it now while we stand and while we sing?